Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back. It is March the 3rd, and we are fresh off a 90-minute, basically, Clubhouse. We had so many fun people asking us questions. I love Clubhouse because we don't really have to drill down on any particular topic. We just sort of go wherever the strongest... Bounce around if you want. Right. Go wherever the strongest conversational breeze blows us. And thanks for those of you who have discovered our Clubhouse event. Um, We're going to start playing around with names, but for now, it's called Real Estate Masterclass. You can find it. It starts every morning at 8 a.m. Pacific. It's not just Julie and I. It is Julie and I, and we also pull in a lot of our other friends who are also top coaches from around the nation. And the conversation, man, it was just all over the place. It was about goal Mm -hmm. setting today. We had somebody on who was a triathlete who was giving people suggestions on how to lose weight. There was some – I'm just running it through in my mind. There are conversations about how to – I mean, just everything. We were talking about how to lead generate on Clubhouse. We were talking about just – you know, it's really a practical and tactical approach to sort of the things that are top of mind for the people that are attending. I don't know how many people we had on today. I didn't really stop to count because the conversation was going so fast and furious. But in the interim, if you guys are on Clubhouse – Um, which I know is not all of you because the app is only available for iPhone uh, thus far, and it is not publicly available. You have to go on a wait list. But for those of you who are, please do consider um, attending every morning at 8 o'clock. And yes, I will send you guys invites um, when I have them. So, you know, I've got a lot of folks, obviously, Julie and I have tens of thousands of you from the United States and from around the world that are our longtime, uh, you know, really some of you are fans, but most of you are coaching clients and friends. And I do send those out um, generously whenever I have them, and they don't give you very many invites to send out. But no more about Clubhouse. Point being is I'm really loving the format. It's a great conversational format. It's not uh, it's so, it's not dogmatic in any way, and and I'm just I'm loving the fact that there's so many people that are sharing their life experience and also their work experience, and there's no I hope this never changes, but there's no like um, it's unfettered. I mean, people are really sharing. It's not oversharing, but maybe some cases it feels a little oversharing, <laughs> but it almost is like just to use one of these you know sort of modern terms. It's almost like a safe place. And especially in our clubhouse room where people just feel um, able to talk about the things that are troubling them. And I, maybe this is just essentially the uh, result of uh, a year plus of pandemic and people are w- wanting human connection again. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really special, I think, honestly. Yeah. Um, and this podcast actually is a continuation of today's um, clubhouse event. Normally, it's going to be the other way around. But that is how it works sometimes. You know, Julie and I have a, a particular topic we're going to present to you guys today. But don't be surprised if those of you who are listening to us on Clubhouse this morning, we start, you know, rambling about some of those uh, things we were uh, beating on this morning on Clubhouse. Specifically. It all runs together. It does. It does. Well, it's, it's because this is, um, you know, when Julie and I do this podcast and we get lots of feedback from all of you guys and we do the Clubhouse event, it really does keep us in this. And, and this is the reason I, I really do love these ability, you know, Clubhouse and the technology, is it keeps everyone operating at this level of flow that you would normally have to manifest on your own. But when you're tapping into other top producing agents and really big thinkers around the world, it really does cause your brain just almost start to rewire. And you can feel it because you have, you were able, I was listening to a conversation last night, Julie, 
with um, Jay Abraham. And Jay Abraham, if you guys have never come across that guy, oh my gosh. It, he is operating like he, – he's probably not even hu- fully human. He, he, might be, he might be like Elon Musk. They have he, to be cousins. Yeah, he's like an Elon Musk of yeah. marketing basically. But he, he, was, he was talking about some things and, and I was just listening casually and then I had to start writing down what he was saying. And I was just thinking to myself, how amazing is it in this day and age where you can just instantly, you know, while brushing your teeth is what I was doing, have access to somebody who's willing just to share with you all this information that you'd normally, you normally never, never even have access to. And if you did, you'd have to pay a huge amount of money. That's something really incredible, I think. Mm-hmm. And Definitely. I, you know, we strive the to- The access, I think is- Yeah, the know. access. Well, just think about it when we were kids. If you wanted to learn something, you had to read it in a book. You had to pay for it through college or school, mm-hmm. really. And most of the information you got there certainly. You had to finance it, basically, with student loans. Sure. But most <laughs> of the information you got in college absolutely had nothing to do with really what it took to be successful in life. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, far from it, really. Sure. Um, but you'd have to you'd have to go and hire, you know, not even a, there wasn't even coaching then. You'd have to go and maybe shadow somebody or you'd have to go to a seminar or something like that. And, and that's assuming you even knew about it. Because right. you couldn't just Google your way to, you know, finding things out back then. And most seminars are just the top of somebody's sales funnel where they're going to yeah. try to sell you into something else. But on Clubhouse, you're going, you're getting like this private direct direct access information. And again, it, the reason I think it resonates with Julie and I like it does is because this is what we do on our podcast. And this is the reason this is the nation's number one listen to daily uh, podcast for real estate professionals in the United States, but maybe for the world. Um, and it's because Julie and I don't hold back on what we're going to talk about. We're not like saying, well, you know, this is the information we're going to give you. But if you want the real information, you have to join our coaching program. We don't operate like that because we're always thinking if we can give somebody a little bit of extra something or another that helps them put a transaction together, help themselves and help their family. Well, ultimately, that's, we're going to be rewarded with that because they're probably going to join our coaching program. Or at the very least, then they're going to be able to use the information we gave uh, to them and they're going to be able to help other people, which is in direct alignment with our highest and truest purpose on this planet, which is being of service to other people. And the people we choose to primarily be of service to is all of you guys and all our big dysfunctional real estate family, right? Um, so that's how our brains are wired, in case you're curious. But in any event, uh, do try to attend the Clubhouse events that Julie and I are hosting and a lot of other fantastic coaches and moderators. Do try to attend that every morning at 8 a.m. Uh, East Coast. Um, so I want to talk with you before we get to our next point. Which is? Yes, right there. I got it. I got it. Okay. So and we're this is uh, this is uh, day two of talking about the um, uh, emails and whatnot. And when Julie and I see a specific uh, recurring theme amongst the emails and the questions that we get through customer service of our coaching program and the texts that some of you guys send directly to me. We write all these down and Julie and I will compare notes. And I'll tell you what the, what it really does is it creates almost like a, um, a mind map, in essence, of what's really happening in the marketplace. So if we start seeing, a, and this is how we know Ultimately, because we have, you know, we're, we're influencing and have so many of you, we're blessed to have so many of you in our lives. And when you ask a question and when we start seeing that question pop up and, and maybe it's just a, you know, a localized question, we'll have a bunch of people in Arizona start asking us something. Um, or we'll start seeing the same question um, manifest in different parts of the country, let, let alone different parts of the world. Do you guys really realize what an advantage that gives us in knowing what's truly going on in the, in the real real estate market? You, whether you know it or not, real estate practitioners, you have the absolute best information at your fingertips about what's going to be happening next in the real estate um, 
you know, in the real estate market. And where goes the real estate market goes the overall economy. So when we hear that the market is crazy hot, and which has is, is certainly been, well, we know then we need to, you know, focus on helping you guys uh, thrive in that market. But when we start hearing stories, as we did back in 07, 2007, where markets are starting to slow down, and we start seeing other little, you know, cracks in the foundation of the real estate industry, well, then we're going to report that to you as well. That is our job. That is our calling. We want to over-prepare you guys for the future while keeping you, you know, obviously focused on your own five-foot world, your next steps forward so you can be remain op- opportunistic and take care of yourself and your family. So hopefully all this makes sense. And I remind all of you before Julie gets to her next point, if you have yet to download your real estate treasure map, it's very simple. We've made it painlessly easy. All you have to do is text 2021 to 855-685-1045. Text the number 2021 to 855-685-1045. When you do, we're going to text you back a link. And with that link, you then can um, obviously, uh, you know, complete your real estate treasure map, which is your fill in the blank 2021 business and life plan. And uh, also included, we're going to give you a Think and Grow Rich for Real Estate, your 12-month lead generation guide. And all you've got to do is text 2021 to 855-685-1045. And you will get a link text back to you. You can download the books. And then you'll also be entitled to a free coaching call with one of our new member coaches. So make sure you do that um, ASAP. And uh, yeah, so Julie, the questions that we've been answering, and this is question, you notice question three is missing? I, I, well, it defaulted to make that three and that four. Okay. But so, this is really question three. All right. So question question three, and they and this is, again, this is... Um, common questions that we're getting. And a lot of these are, you know, because if it's a hot seller's market, but question number three, and we did one and two yesterday, is should I ignore lowball offers as the listing agent? Yeah. You know, this is surprisingly a hot topic. I've seen this several different places as well as our Facebook live, um, you know, premier coaching mastermind that uh, we host every day for our coaching members. And so here there's, there's different varieties of this, right? So should I ignore lowball offers? I'm coming from the listing agent standpoint, okay? So the first thought whenever I read something like that is, what constitutes a lowball offer? Because there's a whole generation of agents that think anything less than list price is lowball. So how are you in your head defining a quote lowball offer? Second point is sometimes what looks like a lowball offer is actually based on real comps and you as a listing agent might be overpriced. So how you go about this depends on the situation, right? So if you've got 20 offers and one of them's really low, I mean, the first rule is you have to present all offers. Well, you don't have to present them in detail, but let, you do have to present them. Let me challenge you on that. I read your point. Sure. And, and so we can, I want you to coach me through this as okay. if I was an agent, okay? Because you, it's always, we have to always remind ourselves, mm-hmm. my dear, that we are coaching people and speaking to people mostly who've never been in anything other than a seller's market. Exactly. That's why this I is know. a big question. I read your points. But isn't you that know? a funny thought, mm-hmm. by the way? Mm-hmm. They've never sold in a normal, let alone a yeah. buyer's market. So the question I have for you is mm-hmm. if I list you know, my Aunt Molly's house and yep. I'm not an experienced listing agent and I put it for sale and I get my 20 offers, mm-hmm. how do I, let's just start at a very rudimentary level. How do I yeah. go about organizing that influx of opportunity, those all those offers and how do I do it eth- moral or so really it'd be ethically. ethically how do I do it ethically uh, so that you know I'm, I'm giving every single offer an opportunity and I'm not just basically hitting the easy button and going for sure the and, one. and you're also not making assumptions right so for example occasionally a VA buyer will actually be stronger than what you believe to be a conventional buyer because of the circumstances so let's start even so, more basic yeah, on how you could sorting. organize it using like a spreadsheet yes okay so and 
I'm actually working on one of the books, has uh, how to sort out offers, essentially a grid. But what are the most important things? So that's a good place to start out, right? So what are the most important things in an offer? You've got, uh, I mean, from a basic level, is are all the pieces and parts even filled out right? Sometimes agents send you something you can't even work with. So maybe you throw those out. You're whittling it down. So I want you to make it super basic. So where you'd make a basic spreadsheet. You'd have the I'm name. You'd way. have the name of the buyer. You'd have the offering price. You'd have on this. You could just do financing this on a form, terms. And right? you know when you do that, you really should follow the format that the contract gives it to you because it's way easier to organize right. if you're always following the same pattern, right? So. Um, obviously the address, the person's last name, maybe the buyer's agent, so you know who's representing whom. And then you've got purchase price, you've got financing terms, you've got inspection, yes or no, appraisal, yes or no, and any extenuating circumstances. See, that's where it gets a little complicated because you could um, basically waive the inspection terms, right? Like I don't have the right to ask you. I'm going to say I'm not going to ask you to do anything, but I still want to have an, uh, an inspection. Okay, so... And I can still back out over that inspection. But the next one might be buying it completely as is no inspection. So you have to list your actual specifics. Well, but specifically also yeah. going back to the third item you mentioned is the lender's letter. And I, we don't need to, you know, we yeah. don't have time. But the lender's letter is one of the key things that you guys should really be separating the wheat from the chaff when you get these offers. Because a lot of the lender's letters, and we talk, and I know everyone, um, you know, conflates uh, pre-qualification with pre-approved. They're both basically BS terms. They don't really mean anything. Yeah. Now, some people will tell you they have legal implications. They really don't. They're no. just BS terms. You want loan commitment. You want loan commitment. That's the bottom line. So what you're looking for, the best lender's letter, and we have this, it's called the ultimate addendum. So for coaching clients, just use this. When you're on the listing side, you always counter, even if you accepted all the terms, with the ultimate addendum, which will essentially make the buyer and make the buyer's agent, and frankly, their lender, validate, prove, uh, essentially make that buyer so they can actually close. So the only thing that the, um, and sometimes it's not even contingent on the appraisal. It could just basically, this yeah. buyer is, uh, has a loan commitment up to this specific amount or you know, however the, the letter needs to be written. But where you guys go wrong is you're going to accept lender's letters that are written in such a way, but you don't know what all the code language is, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're going to look for words like verification of, subject to. It's always like, congratulations, Bob and Sally have been approved up to $500,000 and blah, and blah, blah, blah. And the print on the bottom. Right. And then, and then the second paragraph yeah. will be uh, subject to. And then like the litany of subject to's would be credit verification, employment verification. That is not, that is just a piece that is nothing that's well, what that okay, is okay so it's even worse than that because most of the time they don't even tell you that unless you ask most of the time it'll just say subject to final underwriting which means everything that you just rattled off so that is a in essence a useless letter that are probably you're going to be if you sell that essentially uh you know you coach and you consult your seller to take an offer and that lender's letter is essentially not even a, it's not worth the paper it's you know written on as it were um, then you're not doing your job. You're doing your seller a disservice and you're uh, accepting an offer from somebody that probably can't perform. And how pissed off is that seller going to mm. be in you know 60 days when that buyer can't close because you didn't properly vet yeah. their and ability to get your financing? Only objection handler is, well, we had a lender letter. Right. Well, okay, so what? So smart agents actually call the lender. And I actually had that question on Facebook Live yesterday. Is it okay to call the lender and ask these questions? Okay. Uh, yes. It's not only okay, but you should be. Now, pause for a second. Smart lenders right now, and I actually wanted to throw this out to Clubhouse because you have a lot of mortgage people on some of those morning calls. 
Um, smart lenders actually call the listing agent and vouch for the loan commitment and will say, we are not actually contingent on anything except identifying the house. And I, there's even some lenders waiving um, appraisals where the waiver comes from the lender. So you want to know what your specifics are. So my criteria for that when you're choosing would be, okay, no lender letter if you're getting financing, toss, you know, that's that's on the bottom of the stack, right? They didn't even have it or they'll get it to you in five days. That's kind of crappy. All right. So then we have the boilerplate lender letter where it doesn't actually tell you anything. And then higher than that would be what we've been talking about. They're either through underwriting or it's very specific. And then you go up from there to all cash and, you know, proof of funds. Well, but let's level off there. So if you're working with buyers, first of all, I feel sorry for you. Yes. Uh, But that's not even really a joke, but it is kind of a joke. No, we truly do. We do in this market. But if you're working with buyers, the way that you can have an unfair advantage when submitting offers on behalf of your buyers, and maybe the reason your buyer contracts haven't been getting accepted is because your lender letter is terrible and you're not, frankly, experienced enough. Uh, to know better, and the, but the listing agent is, and they're looking for ones that claim to be all cash. The all cash thing is also a red herring because any um, even even mildly experienced listing agent knows that all cash offers are oftentimes a bunch of malarkey. So if you're submitting, I my buyers all cash, you better be uh, actually con- uh, sending in a letter from their bank, not just from your borrower or from the buyer, and a letter from the bank stating this person has this money and they can actually perform on the house. Those of you guys who think you can submit all cash offers and flip those people over to financing because you could do that maybe a year or two ago, you're not going to be able to do that because the, most of the listing agents, again, are wised up to the fact that they're going to be searching for people that actually have real verified letters and from real verified bankers. And don't be surprised if the listing agents are going to, you know, call the banker and verify that the the stuff was legit. I mean, a lot of hokey jokey stuff has been happening, uh, trying to, you know, essentially fool the seller into thinking your buyer's stronger than they are. And guys, you got to remember, why are you working with a buyer that's a little bit flaky, that's a little bit marginal? You should be demanding high standards for your buyers because if they don't, if they aren't willing to perform, A, you might not get paid, but B, if they aren't willing, and you probably will hurt your reputation in the community amongst agents because they'll know that you don't know how to actually do your job at the highest level and you're working with buyers that can't commit. And how does that hurt you? Because if you submit an offer from a buyer that's not, you know, that basically you didn't fully vet, that you're not following some of the, the rules that we're giving you, and that buyer doesn't perform, I'm going to, as a listing agent, I promise you that I'm going to definitely be thinking about who I'm accepting my offers from. And that's the reason Julie said on the spreadsheet, you write who the buyer's agent is, because there is a huge difference between working with, I mean, there was, when Julie and I sold real estate, trust me when I tell you, when I got an offer, when we got an offer from Sulas Glitch, or we got an offer from one of these other agents, I promise you, even if all the other terms and conditions are the same, I'm going to tell my seller that I know this agent's going to absolutely not have that buyer write an offer unless they're fully vetted. I don't have to worry about the integrity or the experience or the professionalism of that agent. This stuff matters and don't think it doesn't. And if you're new in the industry, the way you're going to overcome your lack of experience or frankly brand inside the real estate community, the only way you're going to do it is by overcompensating in the ways that Julie and I are uh, coaching you to do right now. That's right. So let's let's circle back to our original question about the lowball. Now, circumstances are different when when it might even be called a lowball. So let's look at it this way. This is an actual case in point from a coaching client. The house has been on the market a while, about 575, okay? Has showings, decent activity, but no offers. A month passes by. Then two offers come in. Remember, we're at 575. One's at 540 and one's at 550. So one would argue if you have two offers real close to each other and you've been on the market that long and you've had a bunch of showings, 
perhaps is not actually a lowball offer. That's something you absolutely want to counter, especially when you have very similar offers. That's called the market has spoken and your price was too high. That's different than let's say that, you know, you've got it on the market and we're expecting offers and we have some come in and one of them comes in at, you know, 490 and we're at 575 and we think we should be 550. Okay, so here's the question. Here's the filter you got to put yourself through. When you are the listing agent and you get something that we would classify as legitimately too low, kind of crazy low, right? Absolutely counter everything all the time, unless you find out after asking this question. Okay, so the question is, why is the buyer coming in so low? Is it because they only qualify that high and they're trying, then the, the buyer's agent shouldn't even be showing them into those higher price ranges, right? They're, they're batting out of their league. That goes back to the lender's letter. Yes. And if that's the case, then probably that's a case that maybe you rejected, but I, you know, because they can't go any higher, right? Unless perhaps it's your only offer and everything else about them is right. And maybe you should go that low. You see how it's not just one question you've got to balance out. Okay. So let's say that it's not because the buyer can't go any higher. Let's say that you find out that they just like to negotiate. And their buyer's agent has worked with them before. And they say, you know what? They do this every time. They like to go back four and five times. So just hit us with a counter. That's the, you'll see a lot of times that's what, how investors like to play it. You know, they, it just, and sometimes it's, frankly, it's cultural that they just, exactly. they have, they feel, you know, that they have to negotiate on everything. You know, some people. And they won't uh, feel right about it. Somehow. Right, exactly. It's just yeah. some emotional response to, you know, the process. And that happens a lot. Depends on your market. You got to know your market. Going back to what Julie's uh, point is, though, is that you're going to have to also understand your market trends, study the MLS, learn how to mm-hmm. know if the, the key things you watch, guys, are the days on the market. Look for the days on the market and the list to sell price ratio. If you see your days on the market and the overall MLS or the area of your MLS that you specialize in. If it's extending, well, there's a surefire sign that maybe your market's adjusting. Um, or if you're seeing the list to sell price ratio start to expand, there's a surefire sign your market is adjusting, right? If properties are all of a sudden going from selling for 100% or 101% of asking price, and now they've dropped to 99%, that's a 2% drop. That's significant. And that could be the start of a trend. Or in, And remember, guys, there is no one national real estate market, and there is no one market in your market. There's sub-markets in your market. You could have markets that are selling for over 100, over, you know, uh, over I just, list price. Right, over list price. Thank you. And you could have, you know, two towns over um, a community where homes sell for less than list price. You got to know your statistics. And you have to know your competition too, because sometimes you'll think that it was a lowball offer and you'll do your research and you'll go, oh, okay, that's because that house came on the market in the same neighborhood for 20 grand less, sold right away, and that buyer's got that in their head. And that's the reason that Julie and I, no matter how successful some of our coaching clients become being listing agents, we always tell them to always have at least three to five buyers that they're working with, preferably people that they really like that are spending a lot of money, obviously. Um, But that way they can stay on top of what the market is because the market expectations can instantly change. Mm -hmm. And that's what Julie's saying. Um, so, you know, until it, it, no matter how successful you are as a listing agent, never completely remove yourself from knowing your competition because you could completely lose your edge if you're not constantly staying on top of what the different market gyrations are. And it's silly things too, in a real expensive or even, uh, you know, an upper end market, people's preferences can change inside six months 
you can go from like, oh, everyone likes cherry cabinets. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a, uh, a trend towards, you know, pickled cabinets. I don't know. And then all of a sudden the buyers are going to start saying, I want cabinets that are white. And all these things that were cool, you know, 12 months ago are all of a sudden changed. And the markets and prefer, uh, preferences um, change really slow in the normal price ranges, but really fast in the upper end price ranges. You know, trends change lightning fast in the upper end price ranges, especially as you get into luxury. Again, this all goes back to you being a listing agent. When you're a listing agent, it is something that requires skill. It's something that requires mental labor. It's a hell of a lot more challenging, but it's a hell of a lot more rewarding, personally and certainly professionally and ultimately financially. That's right. And remember, too, that every deal that you do, you are adding to your, your market knowledge. You're adding to your expertise, your skill level, what you know how to do, how many types of things you know you can say, yes, it'd be my pleasure to help you with that. So let, let's kind of round the bend on this whole lowball offer. Well, let, let's give a story to make the, yep. your last two points. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when Julian, you know, uh, you get an offer, I'm coaching you, and it's on, on one of your listings, and you know as well as, you know, you, you and I have been talking for weeks on why this house hasn't sold on your coaching sessions, and you know it's overpriced, I know it's overpriced, but the seller is just resolute that it's not overpriced. And maybe it's just 3% overpriced or 5% overpriced. But if you get a lowball offer, and then all of a sudden that seller is willing to accept that lower price. And whether that offer actually sticks or it doesn't, maybe it blows out from inspections or whatever, you now have your new listing price. So as a listing yeah. agent, when you get in a lowball offer or what you classify as lowball offer, present them all, present them unemotionally, let the seller decide. And then when the seller settles on um, essentially whatever the ultimate price is, that is your new listing price. You can use that. A lowball offer is sometimes a gift from the real estate gods uh, because it's a perfect um, pathway to showing the seller that indeed the market is rejecting the price. And the script is never lower your price. It's always Mr. Seller, you need to reposition the house on the market so that it correctly reflects the market's expectations. Saying lower price to sellers is going to make them want to punch you in the face. So, right? <laughs> Through the Zoom screen or whatever you're on. Exactly. So remember, it's Mr. Seller. Um, we need to position, reposition the house in the market if it's a lower a price reduction situation. We need to reposition the house on the market so that it correctly reflects the market's expectations or the buyer's expectations. And that's your price lowering script. Never say lower the price. Just say adjust it so that it's market appropriate. It's not lower slice or cut. No, those are those are scary words. Yes. Okay. Now I'm going to take you one step back, and then we need to wrap because I think you've got a call coming up. And I so do. do I. Okay. So let's say that you're getting ready to present that, and you have the uh, quintessential seller reaction. That's a ridiculous offer. Okay. So I love this little script that I learned ages ago. You know, I appreciate, uh, you know, your outlook on that, but let's not be mad at these people. Let's be mad at everybody else who tromped their way through your house and didn't bother taking a whack at it. Let's see if maybe we can look at this as a starting point and hit them back with a reasonable counter. That's right. Mr. Seller, the sell, the people to be mad at aren't the people that actually took the time to make an offer. They loved your house enough that they actually want to buy it. Let's be mad at the you know 37 other people that- Wasted your time. And essentially made it so we had to constantly you know condition the house for showings. Those are the people you want to direct your ire at, not the people that actually respected and loved the house enough to make an offer. You see, what you got to remember is most people never negotiate on any anything in their life other than real estate transactions. And so most people are not mentally and emotionally conditioned to deal with the you know, the, the wave of stress, frankly, that they feel when it comes to um, selling a house. And so they're ill-equipped 
for the stresses that come as a result. That's the reason a good listing agent is a combination of someone who has a lot of skills, some of which are psychological. We always used to joke and we joke with our coaching clients. You have to basically be, you know, a little bit of a Dr. Phil sometimes, maybe mm-hmm. more of a Dr. Phil than you'd otherwise want to be. Sometimes you have to be a little of a, of a marriage counselor. Sometimes you have to be a financial counselor. Sometimes you have to be a shoulder to cry on. But here's one of the keys that we coach all of you guys to understand is um, you can show emotion without being emotional. And that's the big takeaway from when it comes to the stresses of especially being on a listing agent side or the, the buyer agent side of things, really in real estate in general. You can show emotion. Bob, I really am sorry that the only offer we got was lower than your expectations. Listen, I really do sympathize with your situation and how you were hoping to pay your house off and buy a boat <laughs> and a new house. Right. I understand you know, how you must feel, and I, I'm sorry for you. But let's do the right thing now, and let's honor this offer so we might be able to that type of scenario. So you can show emotion without being emotional. The, the uh, inexperienced agent, what they're going to do is overabsorb their client's emotions, and then they're going to leave nothing left for themselves and their families, yeah. and they're going to be burned out. Or they'll make it worse. They'll be like, yeah, I know. What a ridiculous offer. Right. Ego. Versus, you know, you could have put that together. You don't have to make the drama worse on the seller, right? And I, you know, honestly, Tim, I see that all over the place from agents. It's agent ego. Especially now when they're very competitive and they're on each other all the time. You know, you guys have to have some compassion. I love what you just said is most people have zero tolerance for any kind of negotiation. Right. So you have to really feel, you know, feel their pain without it, jumping it's, into it's the It's a combination bucket. of stresses. It's change. Yeah. It's a it's financial. Most people avoil mm-hmm. having financial conversations forever. Sure. So you're and then it's basically the and it's ha- ego too. And having to move and probably ego. Well, I mean, they they get this sense of being offended by anything right. less than list price. Right. And guys, honestly, the seller's real the the heart of why a seller sometimes gets uh, worked up, frankly, is because when they put their house for sale, and it doesn't get offers on it right away, they without they subconsciously are starting to feel rejected. Mm-hmm. And and that's something you gotta you gotta understand that emotion. That emotion is gonna happen with other seller. You know, they are rejecting my they, they don't want to deal with, can't deal with the sense of rejection that comes from the fact that they don't like my decorating, you know, they don't like my wall color, they don't like my, you know, all these other types of things. And so there's a huge um, wave and surge of emotions that come specifically from sellers that you have to anticipate. It doesn't always happen, you know, but sometimes it boils up. You could be talking with the nicest, you know, one most wonderful church going <laughs> sweetheart of a lady. And all of a sudden when she, and I remember this one in particular, we sold this little cabin. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Mm, this oh, wonderful yes. lady. Oh and, you know, we, they wanted to sell it. We, Julie and I sold it with competing offers in like a day. Chesterville. And, that's right. And this yeah. lady went after us. Like, I still remember to this day, and that was probably 20 years ago. And her retired military husband who had that, you know, 100-yard stare. Who was wanting to defend her, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the fact is, is we did our job. We sold it for over asking price. Everyone agreed it, to it. It was the actually, ask. if you recall at the time, it was actually the record high sale in Chesterville ever. Yeah, probably still is. It probably still yeah, is. Yeah, we just happened. But, yeah, and, but she and, wasn't ready, though. That and, is the problem. And the reason we sold is because we knew actually an agent friend of ours that mm-hmm. was not even that was in a different you know area mm-hmm. of Ohio who had been looking in that per- yep. particular area and we just put the deal together and of course their minds went to some you know bizarre place where they thought somehow we were colluding or who knows what but the moral of the story is nice sweetheart wonderful you know people <laughs> we'll who, 
turn on you. Who, once you have a combination of those emotions firing off at once, um, you know, let's just say Julie and I had to hire private security. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm kidding about that. But anyway, you get no, the We felt like it. we should after that meeting. Yeah. Well, so look, guys, bottom line is, uh, you know, this is the opportunity for all of you to pivot to become listing agents. If you got to understand that the situation that's happening on the buyer side of the transactions with how hard it is, frankly, it's just going to get harder. Nothing on that side of the inside of the business is going to get um, there's there's no relief valve in sight. It's going to be tougher and tougher to be a buyer's agent. Pivot all your best strengths towards being a listing agent. That We are the only coaching organization that I know of that specializes in teaching agents how to become listing agents. That is what we specialize in. I strongly encourage all of you to pivot in that direction as fast as you can. Um, in the meanwhile, and you can just go to timandjulieharris.com, our main website, and learn more about our different coaching programs. In the meantime, if you guys have any uh, show ideas or suggestions, remember we're always here. We always love to have to hear from you, you can just text them directly to my cell phone, which is 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day and we'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.